it's said that Alaska is one of the last great places in America where a person can go to test themselves or to find themselves. The sentiment couldn't be any more true than it is with our first guests, Matt and Kelly Barnaby of Barnaby Brewing Company in Juneau, Alaska. Matt and Kelly told us what was probably one of the most compelling stories that we heard at the Great American Beer Festival. We do get to hear a lot of really cool stories doing events like this, Carl, and I'm not raising one sail to lower another, but this is one of the most emotional interviews I'll argue we've ever done on the podcast. Rarely do you see people that have worked as hard as they have to deal with the kinds of challenges that they had to deal with and still had the gumption and the love and the passion for the activity to be able to get back up and do it again. And so we're going to start off Great American Beer Festival's coverage this year with Barnaby Brewing Company. We hope you guys will stay tuned to all of the episodes. They might not pack as much of an emotional punch as this one does, but we got some really good interviews and some really good people to talk to. First of all, I'd like to thank you guys and welcome to Tap In Geek Out, Matt and Kelly from Barnaby Brewing Company. If you guys wouldn't mind introducing yourselves and letting our listeners know who you are. I'll let you take it away. Yeah, so I'm Matt Barnaby, owner, brewer, toilet cleaner at Barnaby Brewing. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Kelly Barnaby, wife to Matt and just a big fan of whatever he does. Great to see that kind of support. Yeah. And welcome to Denver as well, although from what I understand, you guys have been here before. This is our third Great American Beer Fest, and we were here in the spring for the Craft Brewers Conference also. So, I've always wanted to come, but now we've got a great excuse to drink beer and enjoy the place. So, 2019 Great American Beer Festival, what's your experience been like so far? A lot of barrel-aged beers. Yeah, it's been good. Uh, <laughs> this is definitely the year of the big and aged. I always feel like there's a lot of free time, and then we get here, and then the free time is gone. Um, so it's sort of been a whirlwind. When we left Juno, we left our house at 3 o'clock in the morning uh, and then had the two-hour time change, and we're here at 3. So since then, it's been nonstop. So just getting yourselves here was a challenge. I imagine getting your beer here also presented some kind of logistical nightmare as well. There's a big-name brewery in our town. I Might have heard I, of them. I don't know if they want us to drop in their name, but I'm sure folks can figure it out. And they've been great for us, and uh, they distribute to the area, and so they are willing to ship our cakes for us. This year, we had some beers that weren't ready in time. That, of course, has to go by barge. So I think we ended up shipping ours three weeks before they're actually due in Seattle. Um, One of our beers wasn't ready, and we actually had to air cargo it down. Not an affordable way to ship beer, if anybody's wondering. That sounds pricey. (laughs) Yeah, so we we try to avoid that. But in that, you know, air cargo, somebody has to pick it up. Luckily, Kelly has family in Seattle. And so one of her cousins was willing to pick it up from the airport and drove it to Fremont to get it there. And it showed up in Denver, so it worked out. think we'll keep her. (laughs) (laughs) You guys brought some really interesting beers via those methods to the festival. I'm going to start with the Goods from the Woods because that beer I found to be one of the highlights of the show for me this year. 
Yeah, so the base of it's pretty straightforward pale ale, but what makes it unique is we harvest spruce tips. So early in the springtime, our spruce trees produce new growth, and we pick them before they get really woody and kind of piney, and they actually keep kind of a little sweetness to it. The other cool thing about that ingredient is it'll vary year to year. So last year's was a little more fruity than this year's. This year's has got a little bit more of that pine flavor. We harvest them ourselves, and that's where Kelly usually steps in and yeah, I say, hold up, you guys. When he says we, because he does this whole, like, Matt Barnaby, I'm going to pitch everything. I am the one who picks all of the spruce tips. Matt and I, we both work day jobs outside of the brewery. We have two small children, not a whole heck of a lot of free time, especially not him since he's the janitor and the brewer and front of the house, everything. So I usually get out a lot more than he does and pick all the spruce tips. But, yeah, definitely one of my favorite beers for sure. And it's an ingredient that freezes really well, too. So we're able to pick it early springtime, we freeze it, and then we actually have a total of three beers that we brew with spruce tips. So we have the one that we have here, which is sort of our summertime, uh, real popular with the tourist. And then we do a holiday season beer that is a cranberry spruce tip cream ale we call uh, Resting Bitch Face. So that's a popular one. And then uh, That kinda, sounds delicious. Yeah. It's uh, popular among the ladies, for sure. And then uh, like late winter, we do a spruce tip. Baltic Porter. So it's an ingredient that's pretty unique to Southeast Alaska. A lot of the breweries in Southeast Alaska use it as a highlighted ingredient. Like I said, a lot of visitors get really hyped about it because it's locally harvested. It makes a lot of sense to take advantage of those resources that you have immediate access to. Just to clarify, when we say spruce tips, we're literally talking about branches from the trees, right? Yeah, sick of spruce, picking them off, getting needles stuck in us. All day, every day. That sounds kind of like a sticky experience with yeah. all the, the sap. And and you can get some pretty good technique down where you can get like four or five at a time with a grab. But it's just the new growth. So depending on the tree, you know, they can be as little as that. And of course, this is radio, so nobody can see that. <laughs> Maybe an inch or so, uh, up to like probably three inches or so. So it's like the tender veal part of the, the tree is what you're saying. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You want to pick them when they're like really tight. Um, when they start to splay out, it's when they start to get super piney and those like kind of off flavors. So that's when you know. And it's neat too because we, we sort of have certain areas that we'll hit up. So like super sunny areas are going to develop quicker. And so that's where we start earlier. And then you can kind of work your way to the shadowy areas where they're, you know, the trees aren't getting as much sun. And so there's sort of this cycle that we go through. Uh, like late May, early June of harvesting. How long does that process take? Like how long does it take to get you enough to where you can brew with it? I'm literally on the trails like, hey, Matt, how much spruce tips do I need to pick for this beer? I'm picking it by the gallon size bag. And it usually I could pick three gallons. And mind you, I've got my two kids with me, usually out there for like an hour at a time. But I've got a five-year-old now, so she's actually helpful. So we're putting her to work as well. I think early on it probably took us a little longer because we were picking single pieces, but now I've got a pretty good technique where I can kind of rake it and get like four or five at a time, especially if the trees are really close. Right. It's all about the area that you go. If you get a couple of spruce trees in line, like you're solid, you can just pick there all day long. I've never heard of spruce beer before. Is that something that's unique to Alaska? We definitely made it popular. I think there's some other breweries out there that do some spruce stuff. Uh, they wouldn't be sick of spruce which is unique to our region. You know, historically, they say the sailors would make tea out of it to fight off scurvy. So we don't make any health claims because I think the FDA gets involved then. <laughs> but spruce tips are high in vitamin C. So drink our beer. To ward off scurvy? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> 
what other challenges do you face brewing in Alaska? I've been to every state except yours, and I can't wait to go next year. But it has to be different, correct? It's expensive to get stuff there. Like just to even think about starting a brewery, you have to think about barging things up, flying it up, like things that are readily available down here. Not so much. There's two ways to get things into Juneau. You either fly it in or it gets barged in, right? So you can't drive uh, in and out of Juneau. Technically not an island, but due to the geography, we're isolated. So I tell everybody, for me to make a batch of beer literally costs me twice as much. I pay as much in shipping for a bag of grain as I do for the actual bag of grain. Um, So that's the biggest logistical thing. You know, we run pretty tight margins when it comes to that. Yeah, everything comes in on barge and uh, they don't cut you any deals, so... And not just the grains, but the hops as well. I imagine that hops don't grow that far north. So they grow, and we've been trying to grow them. But I think because of our long daylight, that then quickly becomes not long daylight. I think it doesn't give it enough time for the cones to mature. So even if we get cones, there's not really a lot of lupin or any of that you know, flavor. Hops is a tricky one because I don't want it sitting on a barge for three weeks. So we tend to air freight that in. And so, yeah, it gets pretty pricey that way. Luckily, we do have really great water that we don't do anything with. We run it through a very simple charcoal filter, and that's it. Which I've heard from most brewers is literally the most important ingredient in the beer. Right. Apparently, there's competitions, kind of like beer competitions for drinking water, and uh, we have two reservoirs in Juneau, and apparently they win awards. I cannot possibly imagine that those festivals are as much fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like it would be. The Great Alaskan Water Festival. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty great water. And I think some people try and make the whole, you know, glacier-fed water. I don't know, probably true, but I think a lot of it's rain. But you got to play it up. Just like oh, yeah. every beer in Colorado is made from Rocky Mountain spring water, right? right. Yeah. yeah. The name for Goods from the Woods, that one's pretty obvious. The names for some of the other beers, I've got some questions about, starting sure. with sure Followed by do. the Pound Sign. That sounds like a story there. Sort of. It's an American wheat. It was kind of hard to come up with a good name because, you know, American wheats don't really stand out, right? It's a good beer, but it doesn't stand out among the barrel-aged, the sours. I take a lot of influence for beer names through music. The Offspring, not to date myself, had an album, Americana, and I was like, oh, that's, you know, American wheat, Americana. And that album starts out, and there's a spoken word part that says, uh, welcome to Americana, please make your selection followed by the pound sign. And he just thought it was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and then and then when we advertise it, you know, we just put a pound sign. And so it's always funny when people come in because they're like, I'll have the followed by the hashtag. <laughs> and it's like, oh, can we check your ID? I'm not sure if you're old enough to drink this beer. But that's how, you know, relationships are formed and we get to meet our customers and know them a little bit better because they're saying these silly things and we get to be like, actually... Let me tell you about this beer. So. Have you had any hardcore Offspring fans call you out on the title yet? Has anybody got the reference? Not without me explaining it, no. A lot of people would be like, oh yeah, that's right, Americana, that's right. It, it's the intro, but some of our other beer names I think people have caught on to, but I'm a kid of the 90s and I listen to a lot of emo, so we have a good connection with those customers that recognize those beer names. And your third beer that we tried last night that you guys were pouring was the Deja Brew. Deja Brew, it's uh, that sort of like, this sounds familiar, right? Like I've been here before, or I've seen this before. And in that beer, we used spent botanicals from uh, Amalga Distilling, which is a distillery just up the road from us. Actually, start, I think they opened up like a week after us, maybe a month after us. And so the idea is that kind of play on using ingredients that they used, and then we used it in our beer. So it's that sort of like familiar flavors. What went into the decision-making process? Like, these are the beers we're going to bring to GBF this year. Well, Spruce Tip, I think, is pretty obvious. 
I tell everybody it's our second most popular beer, second to our hazy IPA, um, but that's just the market. And it represents Alaska. The American wheat was, we're actually going to pour a malt liquor um, that we do, but it wasn't ready in time. So that was the beer that got air freighted down. And then the Deja Brew, it's just such a unique beer in a festival of however many thousands of beers. We figured it would stand out a little. Um, and so that's why we brought that beer. I don't think we ran into another spruce anywhere. Because honestly, that's the one that stood up the most to me because it was really, really unique, really different. I, I really enjoyed it. I've never seen a spruce beer, and I'd like to say I've, I've had a few over the years and never had anything that tasted like that. And the taste was so unique, which brings me to my next question. How do I get that in Colorado? Your, well, your beer specifically. Our beer so uh, at the Great American Beer Fest, that. once a year we bring it to Colorado. Alaskan Brewing does some beer, and they've got an IPA here with spruce tip in it. We don't distribute. Last weekend, I did a brew fest up in Talkeetna, which is a couple hours north of Anchorage. Ended up taking more beer than I needed, and I was able to sell that to a couple of the beer bars down there. And that's about the extent of our distribution is happy mistakes. Like, I don't want to pay to ship this back. We're a small brewery. We're only three barrels, so 100 gallons a batch, and it's just me. So, <laughs> And I imagine distribution since you guys are really just getting back into full production after the challenging couple of years you had. Can we talk about that? So this is our third Great American Beer Fest. So in May, we celebrated our second anniversary, so two and a half years now. We opened up. We operated for about a year. Went really well. We were actually in a much smaller space than we are now. We had 12 seats in our tap room. I think our brew space was 800 square feet, but it was a really terribly designed 800 square feet, where I think our space was 10 feet wide by 80 feet long. But a week shy of our one-year anniversary... We had a fire and our building burned down. Um, some faulty electric that we had nothing to do with. Obviously, we weren't able to manufacture. We had some back and forth with the landlord where they were kind of stringing us along for a little bit. A little bit, months. Yeah. And then we got fed up with getting strung along, ended up signing a new lease at a new space, more expensive. I uh, decided that we needed a bigger brew system to fill that space and to be able to afford it. And then we just reopened in April. So we operated for about a year, we're closed for about a year, and then just reopened. Pretty remarkable that something that catastrophic, not only to your business, but your lives, and you decided to get back up and keep going. You know, we were getting ready to start seeing the numbers be in the black, which was really exciting. And then we immediately went right back down. And even the fire marshals were making comments that they were glad to see us back up because typically, you know, when they see a business burn down, that's the end of that business. So... We financed our first go at it 100% ourselves. We didn't take on any investors. And it was a small space. It, we didn't have windows in our tap room. We were literally in a basement. We had to hand carry every 50-pound bag down seven steps. In our new space, we have plenty of windows that open up, and we have a garage door that we can pull pallets in and out of. So people like to use the term blessing in disguise. Our goal was to grow anyways. We were just hoping to have a year's worth of income to be able to do that. And the bills don't stop just because you stop making money. So... It was a little tough. I can only imagine. But again, good on you guys for getting back up. And selfishly speaking, being able to taste your beer last night, it works out really well for me. Yeah. What are you guys thinking is next for Barnaby? The cruise ship industry is very uh, impactful on our economy. And so we opened in April because we were hoping to get that traffic. And we get, I think it's like 1.3 million passengers every year. They say it's going to grow. And so we're kind of at the catch our breath moment because our last cruise ship was this week. And so all summer long, it's fast, quick beers that we can turn around, IPAs that people are really into. From back in my homebrew days, I was sort of known for my bigger barley wines and stouts and things like that. So before we left, I was able to get one of our stouts going. And so at this point, 
going into winter, it's kind of doing the beers I want to do versus doing the beers that, you know, produce quickly and are fan favorites. And yeah, our goal is to get back in the black. Costs a little bit more this second time around than the first time. You mentioned some of the stuff you used to brew. When did you start making beer? So we moved to Juno in 2010, 11? 2011. We were living out at Mile 24. It was a property that was owned by the city, but leased out to an organization called Saga, which means nothing to you. But they were tied into AmeriCorps, so a lot of young kids. And we were caregivers for the property out there. Oh, okay. No internet, no cell phone. The cabin we stayed in was a 10 by 10 cabin with no running water. Like we'd have to walk across to the main building to go to the bathroom. The real Alaskan dream. Yeah. We lived out in the middle of the woods, literally. The water we had to pump from the muskeg. So it was like tinged brown. And so we hauled drinking water. That was one of our responsibilities. But being out there and no cell phone and no other things to sort of distract us, I sort of got into this idea of making beer. So started out in this little 10 by 10 cabin shack that we lived in with our black lab. Um, and yeah, just kind of went from there. I've always been a big fan of harvesting and then creating products with that. So like jellies and jams, right? We'd pick berries. So that kind of parlayed into the, well, if I can make jelly, I can make beer. Eventually we decided we were going to have kids. So we moved back to town with running water. I figured that'd probably be appropriate. And then, so the reason why we started the brewery was I worked for the state of Alaska, who uh, still isn't in a great financial place. And they started laying off people. And I thought that was going to be me because... Uh, it's a union represented position. So last to hire, first to fire. I had just started that job, had one kid at the time. And so I got nervous at that point in my life. I'd only worked for the government the whole time. So my plan B was the brewery. I ended up never getting laid off. Um, I did switch jobs, but and yeah. And so that's how the brewery came to be is sort of a fear of unemployment. I'd really like to know, since Matt's been doing most of the talking, Kelly, from your perspective, what kind of advice would you have for the spouse of a brewmaster? Oh, gosh. Don't give up hope. You're going to make me cry. I know. God, I'm trying not to. It's hard. I'm sorry. But really, your story is so amazing. You are both generally from Seattle. I actually grew up in South Carolina. What part? Somerville, just outside of Charleston. Okay, yeah, my parents live in Hilton Head. Okay, yeah. Your parents have some money then, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but... You guys are really kind of that quintessential like Alaska story. Like we want to be a part of that place. We want to be a part of the landscape of right. Alaska. You moved to a cabin in the middle of the woods. Like tell me how you sold her on that. <laughs> well, I'm actually from Sitka. So did you get him to go there? Matt used to be in the Coast Guard. He okay. got out after he had transferred to Sitka. We moved to South Carolina for a little bit and then moved back to Juneau. And I told him I don't ever want to live anywhere else. Like. Wow. This is it for me. I like visiting down south, but it's too much, too many people, and it's just, I don't know, the best state. The cabin was free. That was the big deciding factor is rent was free. I wanted to ask you guys about Juno in particular. I was doing research, getting ready to have you guys on, and they talked about a First Friday. So First Fridays actually go year-round. First Fridays are our biggest day of the year, so the locals who avoid downtown all month long because of the tourism, I mean, they take over. They walk in the middle of the road. You know, they don't look both ways before crossing. So a lot of people in Juneau avoid downtown, especially in the summer months. And so first Friday is that one time of the month where everyone's like, hey, let's stay downtown. We really like it. We try to release a new beer every first Friday, which kind of gets people into our place too. But the thing about first Fridays is it's not about us. It's about hosting local artists or, you know, people from around the state. So it's showing like 
we want to collaborate sure. with these people. We want to support them and just, you know, give them that space where they're able to showcase their art. We're able to, you know, have beer alongside of it. So it works out pretty well. And so do you actually do that in the brewery? Like you actually have art we do. as part of the first party? So when we reopened in the new space, we actually designated an entire wall. It's like a 20-foot blank canvas, I guess you could call it. Each month, I've got a new artist putting up their art up there. doesn't matter what kind of medium it is. Like, we just, we want something up there. We want it to change each month. And then that creates interest, too, for other people to come in and be like, I haven't been here before, but I heard so-and-so is going to have their art on. So And you handle all that. That's your side. You, I do. You work with the artist directly? So I do all the, like social media and emails and everything people email matt but it's really they're emailing me we noticed yeah <laughs> the power behind the throne is becoming very clear yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't want to say i know a bunch of people in the art community but like you meet one person and the doors just keep opening and so i feel like i've met a lot of great people along the way and they're just like hey i know this person like they're out of ketchikan or craig or wherever like this last month what was it august we had a gal from craig who i like literally just wrote on instagram i'm like hey really like your stuff you ever going to be in Juno and so that's how it kind of starts is just reaching out it's worked out well so far and one of the biggest questions we get from the artists is like oh what's your commission my commission is you bring people into my brewery and they buy my beer and so I think we've become a popular spot because we don't take a commission it's like this is your art you've worked on it just the same as you know, I don't want people taking commission on my beer. Or that mustache. Right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> please don't mustache. start. Yeah. We made a, a bet, not me willingly making a bet. Matt made the bet about his mustache and how many compliments he'd get this trip. So you're fired from this job. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, you said when you got to Juno, you knew you didn't want to be anywhere else. I grew up a military brat, so did Doug, and we've lived everywhere. I have to know. What was it there that you were like, nope, I don't want to live anywhere else the rest of my life? That's a bold decision. Fresh air, salmon. I mean, I'm an Alaska native, so I grew up. My dad was a commercial fisherman. We've always lived off the land. We've gone camping, hunting, fishing. Like, it's in me. I don't know. Juno is a great place, too, because it's remote without being incredibly remote. So we have a ski area. I mean, it's small. We've got three lifts. but Oh, we have a Costco. That was a big oh, yeah. deciding <laughs> factor. There we go. Like the world's that. smallest if you want to. <laughs> you guys made it. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. And we have an ice rink. So like wintertime when I'm not brewing, I'm either playing or ref in hockey or we've got our five-year-old. So she takes skating lessons. Is it an indoor rink? It is. Yes. Yeah. It's indoor. So you guys built a building to hold ice <laughs> in Juno. So people think when they, <laughs> yeah, I don't know like this clear. how yeah. many people are going to listen to this, but when they think of Alaska, they think like, oh, igloos and whatever else. Like that's totally not it. Not us. We're Southeast. So we're more um, comparable to like Seattle right, right. area. We get a lot of rain this summer though. It was incredible. I think it was like maybe one day of rain every almost 20, sometimes like 30 days at a time, which is unusual. It's been an unusually hot summer, and, and you mentioned building the building. So the ice rink opened early August, and there were actually a couple of days they had to close the sheet of ice down because they couldn't keep it frozen. I think I saw something in the news about that this summer. Like, you guys had, like, one of the warmest days on record ever in Juneau, right? I think it got up to, like, high 80s, which is not unusual, but, like, for a string of almost a week-long thing is a big deal. And I always joke, it's like... Everyone in Juno pulls out the one pair of shorts the three days we have hot weather. But this summer, it's like everybody's shorts started looking a little dingy. Saw a we're little wearing... cutoffs. Yeah. <laughs> People were making drastic decisions. Yeah. <laughs> we sold tank tops at the brewery. Yeah, like, oh, it, wow. was a yeah, bit, yeah. it was a big deal. You've been in Denver for a couple of days now at the Great American Beer Festival. 
What's your highlight of this year? The highlight for me is we got to do the rare beer tasting. Um, happened yesterday. Kind of pricey, but totally worth it for the experience. There was like 66 breweries and um, I don't know however many unique beers. A lot of barrel age stuff. But one was like a tequila barrel age something with guava. And if I could have that for the rest of my life, I'd be happy. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's always interesting to come to these events and see what trends are happening, especially being isolated in Alaska. I just did a passion fruit goza and I was like, oh, I'm so creative and unique. And then you come down here and it's like literally like booth after booth is passion fruit goza or passion fruit sour. And so it's like, ah, I guess I'm not that unique. And we just ordered a bunch of barrels that we're going to uh, age our barley wine in. And uh, same thing. It's like you come down here and it's like everybody's got something aged in a barrel. You come to a, a place like this, it's all good, right? Nobody brings bad beer to these events. And what I like about it is I'm never going to New Hampshire. I might go to Texas, maybe. And so it's a great opportunity to try those beers without committing to a plane ticket to a place that I don't really have a desire to go to. No offense to those states. I'm sure they're great. So reading between the lines a little bit, is there a tequila-aged, agave-based beer in your future? We've actually had two tequila-aged beers that have impressed us many, many years ago. Uh, Edmund Oss in Charleston, we went and I actually tried to talk to those guys. I'm like, hey, do you guys remember brewing this beer like a long time ago? And they couldn't even remember. But I think it was like a golden strong that they had aged in tequila barrels. And I've had a lot of bad beers that were aged in tequila barrels, but those two beers definitely stood out and would definitely be interested in playing with it. Yeah. So coming here, I think it's just about, like Matt said, tasting a bunch of different beers, seeing what people are doing, seeing what we like, and just planning for the future. Like, what are we going to do? So I like coming here. You mentioned brewing in isolation. What lessons have you learned from that? Well, you got to plan ahead. Uh, there's often days where you plan on brewing one beer and sure as shit, you don't have that hop. It's no longer five and a game IPA. It's this new Strata IPA that we don't have a name for yet. Down South, as we refer to it, Down South or Lower 48, you know, they can give away grain to any farmer that's in the area. And uh, we don't have that luxury necessarily. So the logistics of getting rid of waste, um, Alaskan brewing has gone to the extreme of where they actually dry out and burn their grain to fuel something in their process. Uh, we're not quite there. We used to pay people to pick up our grain. <laughs> so now we've got a guy who actually uh, is pretty reliable on picking it up. He lives out at mile 24 where he used to live, which I'm sure for everybody listening, 24 miles doesn't sound like a far way out. But in Juneau, it's about as far as you can go. Even coordinating with him, like, hey, man, are you going to be in town today? Can you bring your big truck, not your little truck, to make sure that we can get our grains out because they start to smell pretty quick. Big thing is planning ahead, yeast orders and all of that, which exists in the lower 48. But I think because there's the travel time of things getting up, we pay to get it to Seattle and then Seattle, we pay to get it up. And that's usually at least a week to get it just from Seattle to Juneau. We talk to a lot of brewers in Colorado, and they have 18 people they can call if they run out of something, if right. they need to borrow something. You don't have that luxury, correct? Yeah. I mean, we've got some other breweries near us. The problem is, is we kind of do polar opposites of beer styles. Hey, do you guys have brewers malt from Breeze? And they're like, what? No, we only use Belgian malt. And so, yeah, exactly. You just start doing numbers like, should I air freight this? <laughs> like, how bad do I want this ingredient? Yeah, we smoke our own malt. We harvest our own alder, so literally I went and cut a tree down in the middle of the woods, came home, chopped it up, and then we smoked it for about eight hours. I know this is radio, so nobody can see. But that's the smoker I built, so literally just took some Home Depot boxes. <laughs> yeah, that's the inside of it there, and so we just had racks built, and there's just a little galvanized tin in the bottom there with some coals, and we'd throw that alder on there. Was that your first attempt at that? At smoking malt, yeah. yeah. I mean, living in Alaska, we smoke fish, and 
I smoke some cheese on occasion. So you had the technology down. It was just a different ingredient. Exactly. Yeah. And if you wouldn't mind, I would love it if you would send us both of those photos because the idea that you guys built a smoker out of Home Depot boxes yeah. is something that I feel like needs to go on the website. Mo- so I gotta, modern day I got to give a, a, yeah. a little bit of credit to Alton Brown. Did a smoked salmon show once, his Good Eats, and he built one out of a box. You know, it's great because the box you just throw away at the end of the day and then the wood stuff, you find somewhere to keep it dry. So from a cost standpoint, it's probably the cheapest way to do it. I also want to give a little credit to Alaskan Brewing because they're sort of the original Alder Smoked guys and uh, sort of took that inspiration. It's like, well, shit, if they can do it, I can do it too. We try to do it in the middle of wintertime so it's colder, so the grain doesn't get too hot, so it's more of a cold smoke. So we had our Rosh beer that we won silver at the U.S. Open with. And then, so every year at the Haynes Brew Fest, all the brewers get together afterwards and they create a beer they call I'll Have Another. It's a loose recipe. Everybody takes it home, they brew it. And then they bring it back the following year. And so this beer actually came out of that. And so they said, I don't remember the exact parameters, but the big thing was smoke your own malt. I think that year only ourselves and Midnight Sun actually ended up brewing that beer. But that beer is the beer that ended up winning at US Open. And since then, we actually did a collaboration brew with Wildwoods out of Boulder. And so we brought that malt down with us and incorporated that into a smoked porter that we did with those guys. And then there was a brewery in South Carolina that we took spruce tips to. So whenever we try to collaborate outside of the state we always try to bring that uniqueness of alaska to that collaboration but that smoked beer that won the u.s open is also the same year that our brewery had the fire and so the big kind of running joke was like oh did you just leave the grain down in your brew space and make beer out of that it's like no no assholes salt wound yeah. Yeah. yeah it was pretty funny when the list came out and we saw that we won for smoked beer it was unreal yeah. Well, congratulations. And you mentioned that was a Rosh? Ish. The first professional competition we ever put in was the U.S. Open. We have a California Common that we brew. We call it Steamy. It was originally a one-off. We won gold, and so now we brew it all the time, right? But we use the California Lager yeast, and so we use that in this beer. So it's sort of Rosh-like. In fact, we put it in the GABF that same year, assuming we'd kind of keep the success going. And they forced you to kind of categorize it a little different with GABF and right. said, well, it doesn't really fit these categories. So I don't even think they give the other smoked beer option. So it's like Rosh-like-ish. It's smoked beer. It tastes like smoke. I think even in an event like this, you could probably count on two hands the number of Rosh-style beers that are at the competition. We poured it last year, and I think we brought... 24 16 ounce cans so not much and we you know had a little leftover <laughs> it's a smoked beer in the world of sours and barrel age it kind of is a palate throw offer we thought that was going to be the same thing with our sati this year we only brought one sixth of it and we're out of it even today before they opened up the crowd people were oh man it kicked it's like yeah sorry <laughs> we're like we got plenty in juno come on up <laughs> Is there anything coming up here in the near future that you'd want your patrons to know about? We're sort of transitioning from the chaos of the cruise ship to the sort of lull of winter. And so we're getting ready to start doing our big stuff that will, some of it will go in barrels, some of it won't. But the plan is to put it all in bottles. Although we probably won't distribute outside of Juno. If you got a friend, right? Everybody's got a friend who lives somewhere. Uh, the idea is get that out. And also, uh, you know, these beers are designed to drink today, but will do well aging. And so... We're hoping to kind of see that develop through the years. And so, yeah, we're right into our winter time where we get to focus on more of our passion project stuff. 
the story that you told about where you lived and the decision you guys made to move home and wanting to be there and wanting to be a part of that community. You watch TV shows and you hear stories about people that like there's something special about them and they want to go to a place like that because they know that they can be tested there. And I get that impression from you guys that there was this idea that we want to go there and we want this amazing different life than what most people want. And the fact that you got knocked down as hard as you did and you stood back up and rebuilt is a testament to your character and it's something really special. So I'm very, very happy that I had the chance to meet you guys. Oh, thank you. And Kelly, I apologize for putting you on the spot earlier. Oh, no. As soon as you said it, I'm like, I'm going to cry. This is going to happen. But it's a lot. And for Matt to handle it as well as it, I mean, I handled it too. But if he was crying about the fire or doing whatever else, like I would lose it. So, And it's tough. When we started the brewery, I think we had a kid. We had a kid, and then we had another kid literally born a month before we opened. You know, it was one of those, like, let's get opened, and then we can focus on having a family. And then we got put right back into that. Now we're focused on opening a brewery. I laid the floor myself. You know, we did most of the plumbing all by ourselves. And so there were a lot of nights where it was like, hey, mom, when's dad coming home? Definitely a lot of sacrifice, especially at home. Well, I don't know if you guys are planning on coming back next year at this point. Maybe that's too far ahead to be planning yes. for. Every yes. year. <laughs> Every year. Forever. It's our vacation. You know, it's a beercation. I was also going to ask what the kids are up to, but I didn't want to push any more buttons. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, our five-year-old's great. She's in kindergarten. She's super smart. I think everybody says that about their kids, right? She likes ballet. Her favorite beer is root beer. Yep. <laughs> Every time she comes to the brewery and I'm brewing, because a lot of times dinner gets brought to me, she'll be like, is there root beer in that tank? No, not this tank, so... I always describe her as my retirement plan. So in 15 years or 16 years when she's old enough to make beer, plan on quitting. So I'm just not believing you when you say that. <laughs> I just want to be the owner who comes in like once a month, brews and messes everything up and the staff complains about. Like, oh, Matt came and brewed today. Now we got to fix this and clean that. <laughs> like, I want to be that old curmudgeon. Curmudgeon, please. I just sign the paychecks and drink beer and annoy people. That's my goal. That's the dream. Well, thanks again. You guys have been a delight. I really appreciate your company. Cool. Yeah. yeah thank thank you. you guys so much. It's not getting knocked down. It's getting back up, right? Yeah. yeah. That's the hope. <laughs>